Welcome to the Etymology Rules Podcast. I'm your host, Salali Bey. I'm the founder of Etymology Rules, a language-based educational company where our mission is to educate people to be word-conscious communicators by fostering better communication to reshape and build new perspectives for society. And we envision ourselves equipping people worldwide with the knowledge and power of words. So words are my thing in any form, any fashion. I like to analyze language in any way that uh, it presents itself to me. I have a book coming out this year. Uh, It's entitled Etymology Rules, Back to Basics. It's a workbook that teaches the reader and writer about the basic building blocks of language in general, English specifically. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Medium, Tumblr, and Pinterest. All right. So as I mentioned last time, I have a new segment. It's uh, talking about my book list, the Etymology Rules book list. So a book that I have read in the past is My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reeve Du. And it is considered um, like a black noir, a a horror story. But I think I would also consider it Afrofuturist. Um, hmm. or I take that back black speculative yes I will consider it a black speculative um, book as well and so I believe I mentioned Tanana Reeve Du last time that we I had my podcast but just a reminder uh, she is an author and she also is a screenwriter and She hosts a webinar called Octavia Tried to Tell Us, and she has a small group called Shaping Change that I'm a part of, so um, please check her out. She's super dope. So My Soul to Keep was written in 1997. It's a a part of a series called the African Immortal Series. Uh, The second book is The Living Blood. I haven't read that yet, and Blood Colonies the third, but I have both of them on my shelf ready. So just to tell you a little bit about the book, um, it's it's about a vampire, um, basically, uh, an immortal, an immortalist who's va- who's a vampire. Um, it does have a lot of uh, like musical history, and it touches on um, slavery as well. So, and I love the fact that it 
historically it goes all the way back to ancient um, societies like in Ethiopia they had ancient mystery schools and um, one of the characters is a part of that so anyway I don't want to give too much away but it was just a really great read so I suggest it I give it all the thumbs up and what I'm currently reading I'm still reading Dark Matter which is a an anthology of black speculative fiction I actually watched a webinar maybe two weeks ago or so featuring the editor of the book and this was the compilation of black speculative fiction writers or from black speculative fiction writers all the way back to Du Bois so you know it's now this is not new black people didn't just start writing sci-fi and fantasy um, been doing this and so the thing though was that black speculative black speculative fiction was difficult to get published because publishing companies didn't think black people would want to read it really they didn't think black people read period but they definitely didn't think they would read um, speculative fiction alright so two of the stories that stood out for me in this anthology are Greedy Choke Puppy by Nalo Hopkinson and um, Nalo Hopkinson is a Jamaican-born Canadian speculative black writer, and she has written books such as Brown Girl in the Ring, Midnight Robber, and Salt Roads. Those are the three that I have. Um, she's also written several short stories, and she has a comic book series, and her stories feature Caribbean folklore, feminist themes, and Afro-Caribbean culture. So this is a story about a, succu a succuyant or a ohaig, which is basically like a haint so to speak uh, it's a spirit it's I wouldn't say a demon I think that's a very Eurocentric concept mm. but I definitely I think that um, maybe a hag or a witch would would fit better so Sokoyant means bloodsucker and it comes from the French verb sucker which means to suck, and old hag is a Guyanese Creole expression for an old hag or a witch woman. And so in Eastern Caribbean folklore, uh, Sokoyan is a malignant witch believed to shed her skin by night and suck the blood of her victims. Here's a line from the story to give you more. It states, The Sokoyan is usually an old evil-tempered woman who removes her skin at night, hides it, and then changes into a ball of fire. She flies through the air, searching for homes in which there are babies. She then enters the house through an open window or keyhole, goes into the child's room, and sucks the life from its body. She may visit one child's bedside a number of times, draining a little more life each time as the frantic parent searches for a cure and the child gets progressively weaker and finally dies or she may kill all at once. So, favorite parts about this this story in addition to the cultural aspect, is I love the 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 plot development here. Um but really I find that in all Nello Hopkinson's novels and writing in general. So, uh, please check her out, check that out. That's also all the thumbs up. And then the second story is Buddy Bolden by Kalamu Yasalam. So Kalamu Yasalam is a poet 
uh, author, he makes films, and he's a teacher, and he's from the Ninth Ward, that's Narlins for all y'all who didn't know, and a well-known activist and social critic, he has spoken out on a number of racial and human rights issues, and he had a radio show for years, um, and he co-founded the Normal Literary Society, which was a weekly workshop for black writers. So here's the story. Um, no, I'm going to give you the first line. I'm going to start there. A bunch of us were astral traveling, pulsating on the flow of a wicked, elvenesque, polyrhythmic 6-8 groove. Although our physical eyes had appeared from our faces, we still had wry eyebrows arched like quarter moons or a miniature ram's horn. Every molecule of our thirsty skin was a sensitive ear drinking in the vibes. At each stroke of sweat-slick drumstick on our skins, our wings moved in syncopated grace. Shimmering cymbal vibrations illuminated the night so green bright we could feel the trembling emerald through the soles of our feet. Deep red pulsing bass sounds throbbed from our right brain lobes, lifting us and shooing us quickly across the eons. We move swiftly as comets, quiet as singing starlight. That's how the, that's how the joint opened up. So I was immediately drawn in. Now this is a story about time travel, sensuality, sexuality, um, music, inspiration, kinship, friendship, fellowship, self-love, self-discovery, depression, theft of the soul, the selling of the soul, authenticity, etc. All those things I named all packed in this story and it's a short it's a it's a fairly short story. Um, I don't know if you would consider it flash because I don't know how many words there are in it but um, impressive how he packed so much in a short space incredibly done uh, and about the title it's named after Buddy Bolden who is an African-American cornetist who was regarded as um, a key figure in the development of New Orleans style of ragtime, which later became known as jazz. Many early jazz musicians credited Bolden and his bandmates with having originated what came to be known as jazz, though the term was not common in common use until the era of Bolden's prominence. At least one writer has labeled Bolden as the father of jazz, and he is credited with creating a looser, more improvised version of ragtime and adding blues. So Bolden's band was said to be the first to have brass instruments play the blues, and he's also known to have adapted ideas from gospel music heard in uptown African-American Baptist churches. In Ma Rainey's Blues, there was a line by Cutler about Buddy Bolden, or Buddy Bolden was mentioned. Here's the line. Slow drag's all right. It's you talking all that weird shit about art. Just play the piece. Just play the piece, nigga. You want to be one of them, what you call, virtuoso or something? You in the wrong place. You ain't no Buddy Bolden or King Oliver. You're just an old trumpet player come a dime a dozen. Talking about art. So I appreciate that Kalamu Yassalam wrote a piece dedicated to black musicians, to black music, and specifically to a harbinger of one of 
the greatest styles of music in American history, and that is Buddy Bolden and jazz. I also appreciate that Kalamuya Salam did not use what is deemed standard English conventions. There's nothing capitalized in the story. And um, it's funny because I teach students, you know, capitalize and use punctuation and whatnot. But um, as a writer, I appreciate, and like someone who loves language in all aspects of language, I appreciate the political arguments against these quote-unquote standard conventions. But that's another conversation for another podcast. So I'll just say that these two ER books, I highly suggest them. Please support black writers and read good shit. And um, another thing about these two ER books is that they are great introductions to this week's topic. And I know it's the last day of Black History Month, but I also believe that Black History is 365, 366 on a leap year. So, you know, this ain't the end. It's only uh, the beginning of all the deep things I really want to get into about language and culture. Um, but, yes, I want to say for uh, my my Black History Month topic, I want to talk about black music. So uh, in undergrad, I was a black studies and government major. So I took a lot of black studies classes. And one of my favorite classes was black music history. And it was a class on the evolution of black music. We started from African drumming to uh, Negro spirituals, gospel, the blues, ragtime, jazz, rock and roll, R&B, soul and funk music, um, like electronic music. And finally, you guessed it, hip-hop. So I want to start off with giving you some etymologies of different black music genres or even prevalent instruments. And then I have a interview with a black historical artist and history in the, he gonna make history because he's a young and up and coming rapper from DC. Um, I can't wait for y'all to hear him, but let me get into these etymologies first. So we start with African music. And one of the most essential parts uh, or essential instruments, and particularly West African music, is the djembe. Uh, the djembe is a rope-tuned, skin-covered goblet drum played with bare hands. It's originally from West Africa. And according to the Bambara people of Mali, the name djembe comes from the saying, Anke J, Anke Bay, which translates to everyone gathered together in peace and defines the purpose of the drum. And in the Bambara language, J is the verb for gather and bay translates as peace. You also have the bembe, which is the term is used in the with the Dahomey, the Malinke, and the Hausa people. And the the Yoruban Yoruban Yoruban. Yoruba, Yoruba definition of bimbe is derived by conjugating two smaller words, be and mbe. So bimbe, bimbe, be and mbe. Be means to supplicate as in religious prayer or pleading, and mbe means to exist or live. And lastly, the bimbe is also called the bok- bokoso, which is ch- loosely translated as 
to reunite or reunite or find um, sometimes even as the reunion of the drum. In Cuba, Bocoso means festivity, dance, and reunion of people to the sound of the drum. And it's considered to have carried royal connotations. So we started with African music. Uh, then we have the Negro spirituals. So the Negro spirituals were songs that uh, particularly were sung during slavery. Uh, and they're like different kinds of Negro spirituals. So you had work songs, you had the field holler. Um, you even had Islamic music because you had some slaves, some enslaved Africans, I should say, that really fought to maintain some of the, the, the cultural and religious aspects of their life before they were captured and, and brought and forced to work in America. But all in all, we have like the spirituals, the Negro spirituals, uh, also called spiritual music or African-American spirituals. And it's a genre of music that is, quote unquote, purely and solely the creation of generations of African-Americans or black people, a legacy of the trans transatlantic slave trade. And um, these were sl slave songs or plantation songs that were religious folk songs as well. And they were rooted in biblical stories, but they described the extreme hardships that were endured by black people who were enslaved. Negro spiritual constitutes one of the largest and most significant forms of American folk song, according to the Library of Congress in a 2016 article. And James Weldon Johnson and J. Rosamond Johnson said that spirituals represented America's only type of folk music. Only type of folk music in a black music. Um, so another n quick note about the spirituals is that in 1844, in Douglas's narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, he stated this about the Negro spirituals. He said that they were a tale which was all, then altogether beyond my feeble comprehension. They were tones, loud, long, and deep, breathing the prayer and complaint of souls boiling over the bitterest anguish. Every tone was a testimony against slavery and a prayer to God for deliverance from chains. Those songs still follow me to deepen my hatred of slavery and quicken my sympathies for my brethren and bonds. Okay, what is so amazing to me about that statement is that he says that the spirituals were like breathing a prayer. And the term spiritual comes from ultimately the Latin verb spirare. And uh, then you have the Latin noun spiritus. But spirare means to breathe. And, you know, there is, my, here's my little, I don't, I don't know, metaphysical and etymological analysis, but you know how a lot of cultural, uh, excuse me, religious or faith-based practices and, uh, that are non-Western, they do involve breathing. As, in, as a form of meditation or as an aspect of meditation. 
And so is that to say that that's why we have the term spirit? Is it is that how we got spirit in its modern day connotation coming from the etymology spirare, which means to breathe? Is it that when we breathe and meditate, we are getting a touch with our spirit? So then these two things become synonymous. So, you know, I don't know if that is what Frederick Douglass meant, but that's what I picked up from uh, this statement, which I think is just so beautiful and amazing. So that's the Negro spirituals. Then we have gospel. So gospel comes from the old English gold spell, which comes from the two words gold, which means good, and spell, which meant news or story. And this translated from the ecclesiastical Latin bona anuntitio, tiatio, or bonus nuntius, which then came from the Latin evangelium, which came from the Greek euangelium, which literally meant good news. So, you know, telling the gospel is telling the good news. And after the vowel was shortened in Old English, the, the O from God, it went to God. The first syllable was mistaken for the word God. Uh, gospel emerged post-emancipation and it was heavily influenced by Negro spirituals, ragtime, and the blues. R&B emerged simultaneously with gospel. Um, and you see a shift away from the spirituals in the 30s and the 40s. They say Thomas A. Dorsey is said to be the father of gospel, and um, they used to play gospel on the street corners in Chicago. One of the most well-known and, um, well, I'd say one of the first well-known gospel singers was Mahalia Jackson, and that's what gospel was actually popularized through. All right. Then we have the blues. So, you know, the blues term, the term the blues is associated or it comes from the, the notes, the sound of the notes played on a guitar. They call them bent or blues notes, which means that these notes aren't on a standard scale. The notes likely had earlier origins as they were found in rural black work songs. Um, they have examples of field recordings by, of black work songs with songs like Calling Trains and the Cornfield, Cornfield Holler. And so the blues notes could be best played on instruments that allowed the creation of the blue notes, such as the guitar, especially the slide guitar, and then as, and also wind and brass instruments. And the songs expressed a longing, a loss, a desire, and they came to be called the blues. And the word blues already existed in popular song distribution for sad songs and love songs. So many song titles had blues in them long before blues music saw print. Uh, such as Desert Blues, um, which was sung in 1939 and recorded in 1939 by Hattie Ellis. Um, and so many black people had a desire to move away from spirituals which were really identified with slavery but they wanted to have their own musical style so the new sound arose in street 
and community music of black people in the 19th century. It was usually one singer accompanied by a guitar and characterized, like I said, by the blues or the bent notes. So um, that is blues, and that's how we got the term blues music. Okay, and, um, you know, one thing, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of moving through this. I wanted to be able to tell y'all about, like, I don't know, artists from each genre, but I really want y'all to hear this interview. So what I'm probably going to do is go back and do, like, a whole episode on each one of these genres of music. Um, so now let's get to ragtime real quick. So ragtime, probably, the term probably began its life as a description of musical meter and was certainly preceded it, it certainly preceded the advent of the music that Scott Joplin and others played um, it was a part of the late 19th century lexicon to use time as a suffix to describe a kind of music by the characteristics of its rhythm for example waltzes were called waltz time march time existed jig time also existed so um, that's where you get time and the ragtime. But rag came from um, the contraction of, or ragtime itself came from the contraction of ragged time. And so rag comes from the ragged. And that is a style of playing the piano or the banjo where the melody is broken up into short syncopated rhythms while a steady overall beat is played. Uh, you know, you take a simple convention, conventional and unsyncopated melody and break it up into the rhythm that is known as ragging and that results in the music being ragged time and the first time this was ever played was at the world's fair in 1893 they say ernest hogan is said to have popular popularized ragtime through his performance in all coons look alike and so um there's so much more to say about ragtime but i'm just gonna like i said i'm just giving you the etymologies and telling y'all a little bit about the musical style but this ragtime here is is really fascinating. And I remember I played the piano and um, one of my favorite things to play was the Maple Leaf Rag. I had a couple songs I played by Scott Joplin, but I love me some Maple Leaf Rag. So, all right, let's move forward. Then we have jazz. The origin of the word jazz is highly debated. Uh, some people think it's African. Some people think it's French. Some people think it's Irish. Uh, linguists, etymologists, and lexicographers have been researching this for decades, um, but the Oxford English Dictionary has traced jazz back to the word jasm, which came, which is a word that I think came about in the 1860s. Jasm meant vitality and excitement and vigor, energy, etc. But jazz was also at one point slang for sex. And, you know, the sexual connotation was not the origin, but it was added later. And the relation between jasm, which is vitality, and jazz, which became a, a slang for sex, is that jasm being vitality would became a slang for semen. So, the first time we see jazz in print, though, it has nothing to do with sex or music. It's a term that's used by baseball players and sports writers. 
So in an article called Ben's Jazz Curve and from the LA Times, April 2nd, 1912, we see jazz written. Again, uh, this is the first time it's written in print, not the first time the word jazz has been used. So it states, I got a new curve this year, softly murmured Henderson yesterday, and I'm going to pitch one or two of them tomorrow. I call it the jazz ball because it wobbles and you can't simply, and you simply can't do anything with it. That is, it's too lively for them to hit. All right, so jazz makes sense in that sense, in that example, because the ball has a lot of energy and it's hard to hit. It's got vitality. It's got, oh, jazz. The other thing that's contested is the spelling of jazz. Some people, the original spelling of jazz. Some people say that it was first spelled J-A-S-S, -S, and they think that because in 1917, Victor Records uh, had their first recording by the original Dixie Jazz Band, and in that sense, jazz was spelled J-A-S-S, -S, and that is considered the first jazz record. They had an ad that states, spell it, jazz, two S's, jazz, one S, jazz, one Z, or two jazz, two Z's in jazz. Nothing can spoil a jazz band. So um, I'm going to tell you, there's there are people who do, their whole research is on the origin of the word jazz. And um, I guess this is what, this is what the latest search has come up with, but I'm sure there will be more to come. All right, uh, let's talk about rock and roll. So when I think about rock and roll, I think about a song that Most Def made. It's uh, Most Def, for those who don't know, is a rapper, but he had a song called Rock and Roll. And um, the whole premise of the song is that Rock and roll is not a white genre like we would think today if we just look at rock and roll stars, play uh, rock and roll musicians. Um, but rock and roll originated with black people. So that's why it is a part of my black history, music, etymological breakdown. Okay, so where did this term come from? Well, rock is from the Old English rocane, and it's related to the Old Nordic rikya, meaning to pull, tear, or move. And the earliest recorded use of the term in literature can be found in the lullaby Rockaby Baby in 1805. Now, roll is derived from the Latin rotula, which means small wheel, which comes from rota, which means wheel. So the phrase rocking and rolling is a metaphor used by seamen to describe the motion of the ship and that dated back to the 17th century. Similar metaphors slipped into popular discourse but one in particular became inspiration for the genre's moniker. By the 1920s, rocking and rolling became a popular double entendre for, you guessed it, once again, sex or dancing. Trixie Smith's 1922 blues ballad, My Man Rocks Me With One Steady Roll, may be the first use of the phrase in song. A man rocks her with one steady roll. All right now. So um, jazz and rock and roll, both referring to sex. 
All right, now R&B, fascinating origin of the term R&B. So R&B stands for rhythm and blues. And, you know, uh, when I think of R&B, I think of immediately um, Anita Baker, Sade, um, Vivian Green. I, I Actually, she's a little bit more neo-soul. Um, okay, next edition. Um, oh, my goodness. Keep sweat, you know, like that's R&B to me. A lot of love ballads, things of that nature. But R&B or rhythm and blues originally was an umbrella term for all black music. So let's talk about how we got there. So in 1949, the term rhythm and blues appeared in Billboard magazine, which was the music industry publication that lists current hit records Jerry Wexler, who was the editor, um, selected Rhythm and Blues as a heading for the top 15 records pro projected for African-American consumers. And a year earlier, in 1948, RCA slash Victor used it in its catalog to designate records or recordings also that were uh, by black artists or had the quote-unquote black style. Those who worked in the record business at the time and current music historians concur that rhythm and blues was an industry name imposed on the music. Or, or as Eileen Southern notes in, in the music of black Americans, uh, was applied first to recordings and then to ex by extension to the type of music that was being recorded. Rhythm and blues was imposed from the outside on the black community and it, but it replaced the much maligned label race. So they used to call black music race music. Race had been around since the beginning of black commercial recordings in 1920 and covered all jazz, blues, gospel, pop, string band, and whatnot, apparently by and for blacks. While designed to facilitate segregation, the term had been chosen with some care for its positive connotation uh, current among black people but by 1949, after more than 25 years of the use of race, um, it, became, it began to reek of racism. And while color-derived euphemisms like sepia and ebony failed to catch on, can you imagine sepia music, ebony music? Ah, uh, maybe ebony. I could probably see ebony before sepia. But um, anyway... Those didn't catch on, so here we are. Rhythm and blues was an artificial music, musical hybrid, and it was not overtly racial. That's probably why it catched on. You know, perhaps more important, the category race was old-fashioned and obsolete pre-war term that no longer fit in a more positive post-war world. More than anything, the name change represented a broader acceptance of the value of African-American music. As an umbrella term invented for industry convenience, rhythm and blues embrace all black music except classical music and religious music, unless, of course, a gospel song was sold enough to break into the charts. Because they tried to keep um, religious music separate from blues music. Um, so gospel didn't really fall under the R&B label. So R&B held sway for 20 years before giving way to the overtly political term soul music. You probably see that mostly in the 60s. We're going to talk about that next. And that's a name that the black community imposed on the industry. 
Um, a little more than a decade later, though, R&B made a comeback. But it's, like I said, not all black music, but it's a particular type of black music. In my explanation of R&B music, I read and discussed a chapter from Nothing But The Blues, The Music and The Musicians by Lawrence Cohn. And the chapter I read is entitled Jump Steady, The Roots of R&B. All right, let's talk about soul and funk music. So I already talked a little bit about soul music and the political nature of using that term, but the uh, the origins uh, are that soul, the the term soul music began in the 1950s, and they, the the that term was chosen in particular because it emphasized the feeling of being black in the U.S. Uh, according to musicologist Barry Hansen, though this hybrid produced a clutch of hits in the R&B market in the early 1950s, only the most adventurous white fans felt its impact at the time. The rest had to wait for the coming of soul music in the 1960s to feel the rush of rock and roll sung gospel style. I'm talking Otis Redding, Little Richard, James Brown, The Soulsters, Jackie Wilson. I could go on. Okay, uh, now the term funk has a interesting origin. First of all, the word funk comes from old French funkier, which was a verb meaning to irritate someone by blowing smoke at them or over fumigating a room. It dated back to the early 1600s and traveled to America with French settlers, which is why funk and funky referred to a bad smell. And that entered and remained in the American slang for far longer than it did in the British English. As the centuries passed, the sense of the word changed so that the smell became less fire-related and more biological, like you got funky pits. In the early 1900s, there was even a blues song called Funky Butt by, oh, you guessed it, Buddy Bolden about a whiffy, overpacked dance hall in New Orleans that local musicians rechristened Funky Butt Hall. Being funky was empirically not a good thing. But during the 1930s and beyond, the sense shifted. The association with sweat picked up a, you guessed it, sexual component that proved somewhat irresistible to body-minded jazz and rhythm and blues musicians. And by the end of the 1960s, it performed the same 180 degree turnaround like the words bad and wicked with a little help from James Brown to mean the very best and earthy pleasures musically speaking. Now um, that came from an article in um, BBC on the BBC News. So um, you know a lot of musical terms have unexpected origins. So, as you can see. All right, so we talked about soul and funk and R&B, and the last, but certainly not least, is hip-hop. I've come across two origin stories for the term hip-hop. The first one that I came across was in an interview with Grandmaster, Fla Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the, the members that... Um, were remaining, so rest in power, Keith Cowboy, 
And the interview was done by hip hop historian Jay Kwan. And in it, Grandmaster Melly Mel specifically states that there was a kid named Kokomo who was going to the army and Cowboy was messing with him, teasing him with the marching hip hop rhythm, hip hop, hip hop. And he just took it on from there and kept going with it. And it just took on a life of its own. The second origin story that I heard is from a lecture that Africa Bambada did on Cornell University's campus in uh, 2012. And there he states that Lovebug Starsky and Keith Cowboy used cliches in their song. And, you know, he was really in tight with those brothers because they were strong members of the Black Spades. Now, the Black Spades was a gang but if you know anything about gangs particularly like in the 70s uh and and the 80s the gangs weren't just these malicious evil groups that people try to paint them to be um, they actually did a lot of good things for the community they did a lot of protecting of the community and they did a lot of good things to help brothers and sisters in the community but they had beefs and africa bambada ended up being like a, a mediator between brothers in the community and in gangs who have beefs. So he went from being a part of a gang to trying to heal uh, the wounds that exist between different gangs. So that's how he became tight with Lovebuck Starsky and Key Cowboy. And then he said, you know, he basically came up with hip hop. He said he came up with hip hop because he said, the music is hip, and when you feel the music, you better hop to it. That's what he specifically said in the webinar, excuse me, in the uh, lecture. So, uh, in any event, hip-hop is, like, not just a musical genre, but it's a whole system of, it's a whole culture. And, um, as Erykah Badu said, it's bigger than religion, right? And uh, as Dead Press said, it's all about hip-hop. So, without further ado, I'm going to let you hear from a hip-hop artist, a local hip-hop artist who I think is super dope. That is Marty Heen. So, I am super excited because this is the first interview that we've ever done on Etymology Rules podcast. And in honor of Black History Month, which for me is 365 days a year, but because I know we have the world's attention on Black history and Black culture. Um, today's interview is going to be with a DC rapper. And I'm, like I said, just super excited for this to be happening. So I'd love to introduce uh, Marty Heem Cherry, who is a rapper in the uh, city where I live right now. And I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Um, you know, first tell us, where you're from, how long you've been rapping, and then I have some questions for him, so. So yeah, um, I've been rapping since I was probably like eight years old, maybe before that, but I wrote my first rap, like verses, hooks, and everything, um, like a full song when I was eight, um, so. I guess I was having rapping then, but I recorded in the studio for the first time when I was 13. 
And uh, by that time, I was like good enough to like for people to tell me I was good. So I was I was seven rocking since I was thirteen. I'm twenty six now, so that's thirteen years. Wow. So you've been rapping basically um, around the same length of time that I've been teaching. And I must say, I remember when I first met Martin Cherry. Um, I think he was like a sophomore in high school and I was kind of just starting out my teaching career. So it's been great to see your evolution. Um, and then tell everybody where you're from. I'm from D.C. I was born and raised in D.C. I'm a fifth generation Washingtonian. Uh, I spent most of my time in the uh, northwest and northeast uh, parts of the city, but I kind of like been all over because it's pretty small. But, you know, I would say those are the parts that like made me who I am, you know. Absolutely. Um, so just a little plug, you know, shout out. Uh, DC natives, because I don't know if you guys have heard about the campaign, but uh, a couple years back, the Washingtonian posted a picture of talking about people who were from DC and like there were no black people. So um, a lot of good activists have been working to correct that. So love that I have a DC native and I didn't even know five generations as deep. Um, so let's get into the interview. My first question for you is, tell us about your music. How would you classify it, or would you even say it's classifiable? Um, I would classify it as a hip-hop, for sure. Um, my music is coming from the, that canon of, like, soul music um, and everything that, like, makes up hip-hop, even, like, the new stuff. Like, with me, I try to incorporate like the roots of hip-hop but then i also like the new stuff like the young thug the little uzi sound playboy party like i like it all like a lot of people don't like it all but i do um because some of the uh sonics that you could find in new music that electric sound you can also find back when they started it in the 80s so it's like if you really got an ear tuned into um hip-hop or just black music in general you can you can find like similar elements and all of those elements tend to be in my music because I switch it up like I'll rap on a bunch of different type of things on one project you know so that's kind of how I try to approach my music and I have a lot of influences outside of hip-hop but hip-hop in general is just a, a melting pot per se um, so that's how my music is and then I always try to put like feelings in my music and try to be organic with my music um, in terms of like not just saying the same old thing that everybody else is saying. Um, as a human, we all experience uh, the same thing. So there can only be so much variation and topics, but at the same time, I, I sit and I try to like make it something that is worth listening to. Absolutely. And you know, I've been hearing your music for years, so I definitely say it's worth listening to from um, the sound to the message and the content, which is refreshing in this day and age, because you mentioned that some people don't like hip-hop today. Some people say that hip-hop today isn't really hip-hop. And I know you've heard, this is kind of old, but when Nas said that hip-hop was dead. So can you just briefly tell me your thoughts about hip-hop today? Like, do you consider like Young Thug, Migos, The Baby, et cetera? Is that hip-hop or 
has it strayed away from what the origins are too far so you can't define it as hip-hop well i would definitely say um it's hip-hop um but i think because because me as an artist i think about this all the time i think because the times that we live in are just more raw and just more like x-rated like this is what it is like at this point like um it's like yeah we've been rapping about the same shit for 20 years if you count it from the 2000s or even 30 years if you count it from 1990 but now it's just a like it's more focused on these topics that you will find in those songs because it's like society as a as a whole has just kind of moved towards a certain place like Tupac and Biggie died, Aaliyah died. It's like a lot of stuff has happened to the point where it's like I don't even have to like say anything for people to feel me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of like it's kind of like a Edgar Allan Poe like situation where it's like I would rather write about this crow and like the darkness of the crow than write about like the beautiful sunshine you know what i'm saying people people can relate to darkness or to just vanity way more after like all of this you know ever that we that we grew up in got you okay um so you know you talk about hip-hop from the 2000s which is crazy that the 2000s is now approaching the early 2000s is now approaching um, I don't know if you can call it old school. I might make it up and call it mid school, but that's just, it's crazy that it's 20 years from 2000. But um, speaking about the 90s and the 2000s, who would you say are your musical influences? And it can go as far back as the 80s if you feel like it does. I mean, my people that I just am amazed by when I listen to them is Biggie. Um, because of just his voice and his humor and just how he he pushed his like he pushed his vocals like the way like Aretha Franklin like pushed her voice. That's how Biggie like is straight. It's his whole body and his and his voice. And I like Tupac because of his subject matter and and also early Tupac where he's just such a rapper in terms of that like. I'm so hip hop, like I'm so 90s way. It's like a it's like a purity in his music. I like um Kanye because he was the first rapper um back in like 2003 when I was really like watching BT and stuff as a kid. He was the only one that was like having a message outside of like gangster stuff. Um Tupac Biggie, Jay-Z. I like Jay-Z because his beat choice and his word choice. And then I like, um, back in the day, I used to like Eminem a lot because how he pushed his pen and then his videos and things, his creativity. Um, what other people? Uh, Young Thug, as far as like his metaphors and things like that on um, his flow. Uh, I like Uzi in terms of his flow. Um, I like a lot of the newer like artists from the, DMV area, what you would like, if you type in DMV flow on um, YouTube or something like that, it's a certain flow that people rapping with in the area these days. Go-go music in terms of the, the melodicness of it, the melody in it. Um, and then a lot of the early acts, like pretty much everybody that people would think of, I like have listened to hours and hours on. And then Nas, of course, too, like the Illmatic album, like that was, that literally like destroyed my mind like in a way of like, I had never heard 
Like I heard that album when I was 13 and I had never heard anybody really rap like that. Cause that's when I first got hip to like true school, like old school, like the, the golden era of hip hop, you know? So I was just like, you know, so that's my, that's like my foundation. And Lil Wayne. Yeah, you definitely name some real great rappers. So, um, it, and it's, to me, it's obvious that uh, some of the greats influence what you're doing just from listening to your music. Um, just to follow up with that question, are there other musicians who are not rappers who you would say have had a strong influence? Like maybe the top three? Yeah, like my my biggest three, um, like just musical people that just kind of blew my world was like Fela Kuti because of like his compound and then how he had all his wives and then he was just like this revolutionary individual and the amount of songs that he made and the fact that he was a composer then sunrise which is kind of like a similar thing like he was early on in the game like 50s 60s and uh he was just like a person that just knew everything about jazz and could play so many instruments and really knew the music but he like made his own like astro thing um and then uh george clinton because of just how much he um like played with the music and like how he would rhyme words and just the songs and the feelings of it all. So those are like my top three people. And and for the the thing that unites all three of them is like the amount of songs in their catalog. All, catalog. All three of those artists probably have over like six hundred songs and like forty albums. Yeah. So you definitely have a theme there i don't know if you noticed but you have like an afrofuturism theme going which is my favorite people who listen to this podcast know i talk about afrofuturism all the time um so that's pretty dope in my opinion um so we talked about your musical influences what about your literary influences any literature that you've read it could be poems books short stories that you say that you would say influence your art yeah, I mean, I'm going to come out first and say, like, I should be reading more. Um, but I think just in this age that we grow up in, I do read, but it's just, it's like the the name of the poet is like at the bottom of the page and then the poem is right there. So you scroll and then you read the poem and you look at the, you look at the name of the author and it's like, you might retain the, like a line from the poem more than like, the person who wrote it. So I'm just reading stuff like that. Um, the foundations of my reading came from like school and things like that. But the the author that I would really say like, this isn't my favorite author ever, but if I ever met this person, like I would have a true moment is Lemony Snicket. And he wrote the series of unfortunate events. And I read um, probably out of the 13 books that he wrote in that series, I read probably like 10 of them. And I used to just sit down and I'd make a tent and I would just like read the books and like his writing was kind of that like um, Charles Dickens or like Hemingway type, like very articulate, very wordy. Um, and that's where I got a lot of like my vocabulary from. Um, I know the autobiography of Malcolm X was a book that like I keep using this word like blew my world. I don't know this as far as just keep using that 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 book kind of like just had me all over the place just in my thoughts and just different religions but it was it was really um visual um what other what other writings 
Um, the book, this book by RV Bay, Seven Principles of Love, that book kind of like really was like, I would say if I would go to like a self-help book, like that was, that's probably my, like my one book that I recommend to everybody that I feel like uh, you need a self-help book. This is a book that like, it's no way you don't read this and just be able to like be a better person. Um, so those are the books that uh, I would say like kind of were different foundational pieces at different points in my life. Um, so for those who are not familiar, RV Bay has a, um, she's a more, she's a more, and we talked about Moore's last time, um, or she identifies as a more part of the Moore Science Temple of America, and she has a website, RV Bay Publications, so um, I would go in there and check it out. She has tons of books, so I couldn't even begin to name them because she just has so many. Um, so that's pretty dope. Um, so this is a podcast about etymology and language. So I'm going to get into some language-based questions. Do you think hip hop has its own language or do you think hip hop in itself is a language? Yeah, I think hip hop definitely um, has its own language. And I think, um, I guess people will call it like ebonics or colloquialisms. I think that's like the foundation of um, hip hop. Um, and it like repurposes words. And then it creates words. Like right now, where somebody might say like, that's fly or that's swag. Like the new word is like drip. You know what I mean? But to some people, they'd be like drip, like what's drip? Or they, they're not using drip to refer to clothing. But like, if you go to a certain age group of people and you say drip, like that's the word that will make them think, okay, you're talking about clothes, like immediately. So that's that's kind of like what hip hop does. It's kind of like an ad space for culture or colloquialisms. And uh, I think that's the foundation of like what it means to be like a hip hop artist because it's the word hip is in hip hop. And people think hip is like a part of your body, but hip just means to know. And that's what really, you know, the culture is really about. It's just like this kind of um, eclectic knowledge of culture like the esoteric aspect of language in general. Yeah, you know, you speaking about esoterics, it makes me think about this documentary. It's a series on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Hip Hop Evolution. And um, they talk about some of the influences of the early rappers. And a lot of, they were part of organizations like the Nation of Islam, or the five percenters and things of that nature. So I definitely agree about the esoteric nature of hip hop and language. Um, so agreed. Um, do you think that there is, oh, let me get my question together. Oh, okay. So you said drip. That's one word that's different from like swag which is different from fly um are there any other hip-hop based words that you think are important for listeners to hear and just to add if you want to be region specific because we know that black english differs uh based on where you are so any words like any dc or just hip-hop words in general that you think we should know well i mean i'll have to 
think, um, you know, especially with like this pandemic, man, I haven't even been around my people to like gain the, the gain the new lingo and stuff like that. But I know one word in the area um, is za, and that word is kind of like traveling all across uh, America and the world, probably. Um, it's really za is like gas or weed. So with with DC, like like how I just said, za is gas. It's like we like we're like cannabis friendly city. It's legal here basically. So it's like za is like a word for like good weed, or you might say gas or pressure. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like three different words for weed. Uh, I'm trying to think what other words are like in this area i mean guh you know you got guh that means to be mad and and um blown that's like mad or um yeah that's just a couple this is a couple off the top of my head i know i could probably like think of more if i just sit here and think but you know like sison like that means to like hype something up or like a hyperbole or like um what else um, yeah, I don't know. That's it for right now. I'm talking about it. Like, I just, yeah, Cap, like, that's Atlanta. Cap is Atlanta, but people in D.C. say Cap, um, and Cap is, like, lying. In D.C., our word for Cap is Welling, like, you Welling. That's, like, you lying, you Welling, Wellington Park, or, like, Welling, um, what else? Um, Stamp, stamp means to like approve or like double down on it, like stamp it. Um, Jai means like almost, like J-I-H, like Jai like, like, or like I'm Jai hungry or like I'm Jai guh, like, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and it's like the funny thing is like you, nobody knows where any of this stuff comes from. Nobody knows who makes this stuff up but like we're all saying it like some think tank is just making words and colloquialism so yeah that's that's just it off the top of my head right now though so um i would say the think tank is the people right like and and because because people of african ancestry and really like non-white ancestry and then if i take it back even further like just indigenous ancestry um, tend to um, have like oral tradition. They, they tend to be a part of the oral tradition. So like, you know, we say that rappers are griots. So if um, you don't know what that is, I'll talk about it a little later, but you guys are storytellers. So sometimes it's like when you think about Anansi and Br'er Rabbit and John Henry, um, these tales, we don't know where they came from. We just know they black. And I would say the language acts the same. And then also, interestingly enough, um, I didn't know people said, still said guh. I hadn't, I, cause I haven't heard any of my students saying it, but I, it's probably like generational too, because when I was, when I first started teaching, um, and that was when you were like 15 or so, everybody was like, oh man, I'm guh. But I hear that less. But people do still, people were saying sice back when I was in school a million years ago. And people were saying jaw like way before I was, like they've been saying that forever. So it's interesting, like what words stuck and what's changed over time. Um, but you gave us quite an extensive list. So 
Um, thank you that. Thank you for that. Um, my next question is: Do you think there's a difference between hip hop and rap? And if so, um, how would you define each? Well, I think hip hop is the culture, and rap is like the verb. Like it's hip hop and action or rappers. Um, the art of making words rhyme. It's like back in the 70s, they would be like, oh, I'm gonna lay down my rap. Or like, you know what I mean? And even going to back to DC um, slang there, like if you're talking a lot, like I'm rapping or you was rapping me up. So that's a word from the 70s or that era when he was like, oh, I'm gonna lay down my rap or my rap game. You know, he got a good rap, like, you know. Um, so rap is like the verb. It's like when you rhyme words together. Hip hop is the culture and uh, Hip hop has like seven principles or uh, like five elements, um, like the DJ, the graffiti artist, uh, the rapper, um, the dancer, and then I think the knowledge is like the last one. But uh, so that's like hip hop. So like hip hop is a culture, but then rap is like the word, you know, the, the rapper, the rapper. Okay, okay, I could I could get down with that. Um, and let's see, my next question is, and we kind of talked a little bit about this, but it's, it's a different question from about hip hop's own language. What role does language play in hip hop and hip hop identity? I think language plays a big part in hip hop identity because based off what a person is saying in their rap, you can almost know where they're from like um drill rap like when people were saying thought and whatever that's automatically probably chicago um when people use words like man's them or stuff like that that's uh like uk rap if people were saying mo and wellen or like god and stuff like that it's like dc or za like it's dc or like um spinner ben like that's dc that's dmv um you know if people were saying son or um like just the foundation of things that you hear in uh, God, like stuff like that. That's like stuff you would associate with like uh, New York rap on, um, or dummy, that's like Baltimore. So based off what a person, like where, what words they're using to express themselves, um, you can, if you're hip to it, you will know like, okay, this person is from LA because they like cuz and they saying blood. It's like, you automatically know. So you can really tell, if you can't tell based off the accent, you can normally tell based off the word choice. So it just, it's a, it's a huge identifier in music. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, can you tell us what's unique about being a rapper in DC? Well, in this era right now, um, I think just how DC like, it's just one of a kind of place with go-go. It's like such a phenomenon. This DMV flow thing has reached all over. And you got like bigger artists kind of using the flow. And then this, even this artist in France just went viral because he was using like a flow that was like from the area. Um, so that DMV flow thing is something that's very like um, burgeoning in this area. And then um, another thing about artists from this area is even the people that I've run with, like regardless of like our sub genres of music, it's like we're all 
kind of like cultural people in terms of like we know what's going on like regardless of whether we make a song for the club or not we don't think it's cool to just not know anything and i feel like when everybody blows up from this area that's what we're going to be known for is like what we brought culturally to the game because people here like even like shy glizzy and fat trail that's a certain era and even cuter food those are like people that everybody knows here they're all they're all muslim so they all have certain spiritual beliefs with them and then even other rappers like they're going to take a stand or like even this uh rapper i think it was young man he made like a black lives matter type song you know what i'm saying because being from here like we see all that stuff and then it's generations upon generations of like black community here so we grow up regardless of what route we take it's at the end of the day it's like we kind of know what's going on in a certain aspect so i think that's what really makes uh, uh dc artists or dmv artists is like we know regardless of you think we might not know but it's no way you don't know and i think that's what we'll be known for when it's all said and done yeah i will say um like it's kind of hard to not be aware of all the injustices all the misinformation all the lies that are in part of the fabric of america when you live in the nation's capital and like you got downtown you got you got the white house and all the government the federal government agencies and then like you know less than 10 miles away obviously because dc is you know um only 10 square miles like you got the hood and like the federal government ain't talking about that at all so definitely the, the the music and the art is a place for dc and D, dc specific and dmv rappers to um speak about things that the media will not so i, I definitely concur with you there um i just have a couple more questions what has it been like to be a rapper or performer in the pandemic how's that affected you well, I think um, it made me first and foremost uh, like go back to all of my old songs and uh, just center myself and just think about why I even started doing this. Like it recentered me and uh, just listen to my music and it just brought me back to like this concept of like why I even got into it and what the bar was and who I was trying to reach. And then as far as um, performing aspect um all of that has slowed down um but what i think it did does have an advantage of is kind of it's a great reset it's like it like equalized everybody to the point where we have this window of opportunity to get people's attention because we actually want it like drake might drop a single here and there but he's not fully invested in the people's attention right now because he can't get a full return. Whereas per se underground artists, we're still grinding through this because we don't really have an option to just lay back and go to Tulum or whatever people are doing right now. And I think it's a great opportunity for somebody like me who actually has something to say outside of the um, things that we used to do, like all them frivolous things that we used to do that are fun because I do it too, but that is kind of like a distant memory. And even though 
people are still trying to find ways to have fun and things like that, with each passing day, it becomes like more and more pressing to like live in reality and maybe think about what you're doing or what this person is doing. Or like things are coming to a head. And I think with all of these emotions in people's hearts, people passing away, like career changes, whatever's going on, it just opens people, it opens people's minds up to something bigger than that mundane day-to-day like death culture that we was all participating in. Yeah, you know, um, and I imagine that music becomes even more important when everybody's at home. You know, you can't you can't go out to the club and hear music. So everybody's on social media. And I imagine this is a great time for the innovative to, um, you know, get your music out because people are actually looking online. So yeah, I guess it's about making the most of this situation. Um, Last two questions. What are you working on right now? I know you had an LP come out. You want to talk a little bit about that and anything you have upcoming? Yeah, so um, last year around like April, uh, I was just, you know, listening to my music and I had a couple of songs I was working on. And at that time, like I had no concept of like what the future would be. I was like, you know what? I just need to put this out right now. So I put together like an EP. And uh, the thing about that is like each song was seven minutes, but the the instrumentals would kind of change in the aspect of like, like a horn might come in or like violin might come in. And it was like a 21 minute kind of like symphony. And uh, I put that out and it's called Refreshingly Original. It's on every platform. Um, And right now I'm working on this uh, project called 2633, the Blue Jay and the Phoenix. And that's kind of like a surrealist, like, what's it called when you make a symbol like that's supposed to be like a symbol and like i'm trying to apply meaning to it it's like an abstract thing but it's like monograms inside of it and what i'm trying to do is uh like just breathe life into that because it has its own meaning to me like those those things inside of it and musically um the songs on that project are songs that I've made in like the last 12 months. I miss sitting in the house for three months. I miss like going out and seeing the state of the world, people dying and then just coming to um, realizations within myself. And that's what the album is really about. Like when I listen to it, it's one of my first projects that is just like, it blends together like seamlessly. And then also it's just really centering music and it's really healing music. Like, I'm still talking about um, normal things, but it's like a different frequency to it. That's like very positive. Like it's it's something that you could play around anybody and them not be like offended. And I didn't set out to make it that way, but I think it's just where I was at mentally was just in this place where I was just like being honest. Like when I went back in the studio after not rapping for so long, I wasn't or being in the studio for so long, I wasn't trying to uh, do anything but get it done. And what that did was make me tap into like the things that were really on my mind and how my voice really sounds when I'm in front of the mic, you know what I mean? So it's just something like, it's just really organic and that's what I've been working on and that's what's like uh, coming soon, you know? 
Well, I look forward to hearing, and we will certainly be promoting over here at Etymology Rules. Um, when the EP came out, I mean, I love the fact that each piece was like seven minutes. It just, it felt like you could really dive into the music, not like you just sticking a toe in, you know, three, four minutes, you just dipping your toe in the, in the water. But like I can submerge and, and be underwater like, cause I think of music as synonymous to water and um, yeah, that's, that's a very unique approach. So um, I encourage everybody to listen, check that out. Um, I will definitely be sharing. Um, I lied. I have two more questions. The, the, the second to last question is, do you have a favorite word um, and why? And I will tell everybody the etymology of it. So I've been thinking about this question like heavy and I got a couple words, but the word that keeps coming to me, and this is kind of, I guess, been my thing. It's just like going with the flow. It's the word access. Like, because though that's not like probably my favorite word, I feel like that is the key to life is like access. If you have access to something, that's all you need. And I feel like that's the difference between everything is access. Like if a prisoner had access to the key to the lock that's holding his cell there, would he stay in there? If somebody had access to food, would they be hungry? If You know what I mean? It's like if somebody had access to the parts of their mind that is limited them from being in their best self, would they, you know, still suffer from the same thing? So I think access is the word that you know just stays in my mind i think your interpretation and explanation of access is spot on because it makes me think about um how we used to say that there was an achievement gap between um students that well particularly black students black and brown students and um and white students but it's we, we changed the language to opportunity gap because it's not that one achieves over the other is that one has access to opportunity and to the tools um, for opportunity over the other. So that's a great, great choice. I, I was not expecting that one, so that's good. And um, the etymology is, it comes from the Latin accessus, which comes from accedere, that's the verb, it means to approach. The prefix is ad, ad which means to and sedere means to go, move or withdraw. So it's literally to move to. And if you have access to something, then you're able to, like you said, move towards freedom. If you have access to a key and you're a prisoner, you can move towards freedom. If you have access to food and you're hungry, then you can move towards, um, you know, feeling uh, nourished and, and, and moving towards nutrition. So, um, that's a good one. I was not expecting it. And my last question is where, how can we follow you and like, where can we hear more? So everybody can follow me on Instagram at the best rapper in DC. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at the best rapper in DC at Gmail. My music is on all platforms from iTunes to YouTube to Bandcamp, um, SoundCloud. You can go in there and find like per se unreleased things. Um, that's the best places to uh, tap in with me. 
And then Clubhouse, because you know everybody on Clubhouse now. Um, my Clubhouse is best rapper in DC. Um, I'm definitely detecting a theme. Best rapper in DC. Some big words. Um, <laughs> has anybody ever challenged you on that? Actually, to be honest, not really. Because in the places that I'm rapping, they're not like the Talib Kweli place where like all the rappers go. Like I'm rapping in a place where like people don't even want to be referred to as a rapper. Like they're like, oh, rappers is this, rappers is that. So when I picked that name, it was kind of safe in the aspect of like nobody wanted to say they was a rapper. They was a trapper. They was a hustler. They was whatever, a street dude. It was whatever they was being. And um, only one person has been like, okay, like you should change your name. And uh, that was like probably two years ago, but I have been, I've been rocking with that like name for a while. And the reason why I changed my name to that was because for a while I was introducing myself so much as Marty, Marty Heen, Marty Heen Cherry. And I realized that people remember a title easier than they remember a name. So me with my Virgo mind, I just sat there and I was like, okay, what should I change my Instagram to? And I was just like the best rapper in DC. So that's what I changed it to. And um, I'm never going to change it, like, you know. Nor should you. And of course, this is bringing up one more question. Um, so for all the people out there who don't, because you said Marty Heem, I should have asked this first. Um, what is that? Like, what is Heem? I know, but I want you to tell people. Well, in D.C., back in, like, 2011, even, like, 2009, everybody was saying, like, heme. So heme is just, like, this abstract word that could mean anything. It's kind of like you're supposed to infer what heme means. So you like, pass heme or spark heme or that's heme or whatever. So everybody was saying that. And then um, I got Marty because one of my first rap names was Marty McFly, but then I went on MySpace and like everybody was like, Jones McFly or McFly this, McFly that. So I just like cut off the McFly, put the heme. And then when I was in high school, I just like had, I'm like, let me look up what Marty means and look up what heme means. And then I looked up Marty and I saw like martyr and I was like, okay, like I can get with that because you know, it's like, that's me. Like I want to like fight for what I believe in. And then, I looked up him and then I saw it was like relating to like um like Elohim or Elohim or you know stuff like that and that's uh from like the Jewish religion or Jewish mythology and just like these like seven angels so I was like I could get with that too because like I am a spiritual person and then Cherry like that's like my family name and then I threw that on there and then it's just like Marty and him it's like bringing that spirit like dying for that spirit or bringing that spirit into existence you know indeed well all of your names come through in your music and um everybody i'm going to continue to plug listen to marty Heem cherry best rapper in dc um more great stuff to come would love to have you back one day thank you so much for your time this has been amazing for our first interview on Etymology Rules. Um, so yeah, thank you again. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate you uh, having me on here and I'll be sure to read as many books as I can in 2021 because it's just gonna help me like with my vocabulary and uh, to everybody listening, just know that um, 
when that album do come out, y'all gonna be rocking with it. Trust me. So, like he said, if you want to listen to anything from Marty Heem, check out the best rapper in DC on like Instagram, SoundCloud. Uh, listen to his music. I'm gonna drop a link in the um, in the comment section. But you know, that is my etymology rules music interview and etymology breakdown. Stay tuned for um, Feb for March, excuse me, for Women's History Month. I have two interviews that I have lined up. So thank y'all for your patience, your time, and look out for etymology rules back to basics to come out this month well in the month of march and uh, i'm gonna leave y'all with a little bit of music from a group or a pair or duo that i really like and um leave y'all one more all right take care peace and love